Hello, welcome to I3Years, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young. And Amanda Redfern. Just remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and not to diagnose the weird thing on your eye. Each week, we review a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. This week, what are we talking about? Hypotony. Hypotony. Low eye pressure. It's like the opposite of glaucoma, sort of. Which would you rather deal with, high pressure or low pressure? Oh, high pressure. I don't yeah. know what about you. Yeah. Low pressure. Low pressure, man. Low pressures. It's difficult. So we're mainly going to talk about the differential and then the complications of hypotony. There aren't many causes, and you can break it down in terms of how you remember it. By thinking of hypotony means there's either too little fluid into the eye or too much fluid that's leaving the eye. Amanda, why would there be too little fluid coming into the eye? Or maybe it's a better question is, where does the fluid come from? (laughs) That would probably be a good way to start. Yeah. So the fluid is coming from your ciliary body, or that's where it's being produced. Yeah. It's just that that lumpy stuff behind the iris. I don't know, like, what level of training people listen to. to, to, It could be the first episode. I don't know what slurp body is. So that's now you know. It's the lumpy goo behind the iris. That's part of the iris. Well, it's part of the uvea. So if there's less fluid in, then you're looking at problems with your ciliary body not working or being shut down. And um, you know, there's many reasons for that. Maybe the most common is inflammation mm-hmm. of basically any kind can cause ciliary body shutdown. So whether it's like you know traumatic inflammation or the uveitis that can you know irritate the ciliary body and cause it not work. I actually always look at that pressure as a supporting factor for when I'm putting together a uveitis picture. Yeah. Um, seeing, especially if you have like one eye with uveitis and then you see that that eye has lower pressure, you're like, this is consistent. Yeah. And maybe we should define hypotony if we're going to talk about it. There's not, you know, when I look, there's not like a totally agreed upon definition. Some people say when it's five or less, which is, you know, reasonable. That's a couple standard deviations away from quote normal eye pressure. Um, but hopefully the discussion we're using will be useful, even if someone isn't that low, like maybe the pressure is only like eight or nine, but it's a lot lower than the fellow eye. Then you can think about why there's a pressure lower in this eye. And an example is inflammation or traumatic inflammation, like traumatic iritis. Mm-hmm. A big thing to not miss is ocular ischemic syndrome. So you can have ischemia to the ciliary body. That will cause the ciliary body to shut down and then therefore produce less fluid. Yeah. And ocular ischemic syndrome is something serious that you do need to work up because it could have systemic implications. For sure. Um, Or it does have systemic implications. Not could have. So it it could, you know, ischemic, ocular ischemic syndrome can happen from decreased blood flow from any part of the pathway from the heart to the eye. So, you know, specifically you have to think about carotid, you know, um, carotid artery occlusion or ophthalmic artery occlusion sometimes. Specifically for hypotony, you have to remember what the blood supply to the anterior part of the eye is, which is the anterior ciliary arteries. And those travel along the, um, the rectus muscles. So there's two in every muscle except the lateral rectus only has one, typically. There's some variation, you know, some people have three in a muscle and that's allowed. 
So that tells you that if someone has something that's either pinching off the muscles or the muscles were severed for some reason, then they're at risk for the anterior part of octave ischemic syndrome, which a big part of that is hypotony because the ciliary body shut down. So, you know, examples of that are traumatic. They have traumatic avulsion of the muscles. I actually saw it the other day. It was a pretty bad case. Um, that was a really interesting case, actually. Yeah, that was, yeah that's it. Oh, maybe should do that. oh, someone's going to do that for grand rounds. Um, or, you know, it was iatrogenic, like strabismus surgery. When you, That's why, in general, you should never operate on more than two rectus muscles at a time because you don't want to cause anterior, um, um, anterior ocular ischemic syndrome. The last thing that is kind of commonly done that can cause it is a buckle. Um, classically, they say people with sickle cell, they can get like a sickle cell occlusion from the buckle kind of pushing on the muscles, causing um, ocular ischemic syndrome. So those are the things to keep in mind when you're thinking about ischemia. It doesn't always come from the carotid, though. That's obviously something you should consider. A big one that actually might seem obvious, but still got to check for is medications. So we actually give lots of medications in glaucoma clinic that can can affect this, but you know, people in other specialties use medications like Diamox that can also yeah, lead sure. to decreased eye pressures. Or if they're like a neurosurge patient, if they're on mannitol, you know, for some reason, then that can lower pressure too. Um, any, you know, so review the medication list for sure. And some sedatives can also. All anesthetics can basically cause a lower eye pressure. Sedatives. All sedatives. Thank you. Not like. Repericane, but all sedatives can cause a lowered eye pressure. This except ketamine and nitrous oxide. Yeah, and maybe succinylcholine. We'll just say ketamine and nitrous oxide. Ketamine is the classic one that you yeah, would you should, raise. Yeah, it would raise the uh, pressure. Yeah, and that's important when you're doing like an examiner anesthesia. Sometimes you do it with basically just ketamine, but or you know with the other ones like you know all the other um, sedatives uh, can lower it. So you should, if you're going to do an EUA, check pressure first. To minimize yeah. that effect. Have um, that tono pen ready right when the anesthesia puts them to sleep. Yeah. And Amanda, what's the mechanism for nitric oxide raising intraocular pressure? That's just interesting. So this is actually pretty interesting. So nitrous oxide actually goes into any air-filled spaces. So if there are bubbles in, let's say, your anterior chamber, it can um, then expand that and cause in- increased intraocular pressure. So neat. But otherwise, remember, for hypotony purposes, sedatives can lower pressure. So, you know, you can take it as artifactual if you, you're you doing an exam, they're on sedatives, and you find a low intraocular pressure. This is a little editor's side note. One other cause of ciliary body shutdown is if membranes grow over the ciliary body. This can happen sometimes in really bad end-station dophthalmitis, like fungal endophthalmitis. So keep that in mind as someone who is post or has had a serious infection. The last cause of ciliary body shutdown is tysis. That might be the wrong way to say it because tysis is really caused by hypotony. But um, um, and tysis, remember, is basically an end stage eye where there's you know there there's no vision, the eye is shutting down, um, and it's a triggering event is always hypotony that that leads to tysis. But once they have tysis too, then they'll have hypotony because the ciliary body will atrophy. Yeah, Chicken we'll, or egg scenario. Yeah, basically. Maybe we'll have a separate episode on tysis and talk about the like calcifications and metaplasia and stuff. Yeah, we'll talk about tysis more in another episode. I really should start writing down like these down like episode topics. You make a lot of promises, Ben. Yeah, I know. I I, I guess in fact there's like thirty thousand episodes I need to make. 
Okay, so that's too little fluid in. Now, you can also have a low pressure by having too much fluid out of the eye. Um, what are some causes of that, Amanda? Well, surgical is a big one, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. those glaucoma surgeries. We always try to get the pressure down, but sometimes we overshoot. Yeah, like a trab that's overfiltering or, or whatnot. Um, any of these procedures that may cause too much fluid to come out of the eye. Similarly, um, obviously a trauma can cause um, too much fluid to come out by a rupture, somewhere in the sclera. So if you're seeing a patient who had trauma and they have a low eye pressure, be very suspicious for a ruptured globe. Be very suspicious. Also, if they're obviously ruptured, at least at our institution, we don't touch that with a tono pen. For sure, for sure. You don't want to expel anything. So if they're obviously ruptured and you can see that, then their pressure is zero. Leave it alone. (laughs) Yeah, agree. Full agree. Yeah. Um. Now, there's a couple, two other things that cause more fluid to come out that are important to think about. So zoom out and think about how does fluid get out of the eye? One is the main way is, you know, through the trabecular mesh or the view scleral uh, pathway. Um, there's not really a mechanism to increase outflow through that besides iatrogenic like medications. The other way fluid gets out of the eye is actually posteriorly through the RPE So you'll remember that the RPE, one of its purposes is to pump fluid out from under the retina to maintain the subretinal space. If the RPE is exposed to intraocular fluid, i.e. in a retinal attachment, then it can continue to try to pump fluid out of the eye. And because the retina will never adhere to it, they'll never kind of block up the RPE or stop the RPE from draining fluid out of the eye. So people with um, retinal attachments can have low pressure just because they have a retinal attachment. And lastly, a cyclodialysis cleft, which can be from a surgical accident. Well, I shouldn't say accident. Should be caused could be caused surgical. during surgery. Yeah. Um, sorry. Could be traumatic. Yeah. Could be traumatic. Could be. And also myotonic dystrophy. Yeah, that's one of those re- uh, kind of rare weird things. But they think people with myotonic dystrophy are more likely to have spontaneous cyclodialysis. Uh, I'm sorry ciliary body detachments. So um, they can have low pressures because of that reason. Um, that's just one of those rare kind of uh, OCAPS things that can come up. So it's one of those things non, to memorize. Non-OCAPS thing, but real life scenario is I saw a cyclodialysis cleft after an intravitreal injection. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. be careful where you're poking people's eyes. Yeah. And the mechanism there is aqueous gets on, you know, gets through that area and then drains kind of directly with having go, to go through the filtering mechanisms of the eye. So that allows for higher, um, more fluid to get out. So treatment, we're going to kind of skip over because treatment is basically manage the reason that they have the low pressure. So if it's, you know, overfiltering, try to do something surgical or, or whatnot to decrease the overfiltering. Um, if it's right attachment, repairing the attachment will help fix the IOP, etc. So we won't go too much into that. There, I guess we can say one thing. Um, sometimes people will use steroids just to try to increase pressure. Um, Probably works if you have an iritis. Yeah, definitely. If it's inflammatory, for sure. But I mean, you, you can kind of try it because you're not really worried about their pressure going too high as a complication. So if they're pseudofake with high pressure, you can try steroids. Why not? There are such... Paro, uh, parasympathomimetics that can increase pressure, increase pressure too. Like one of them is called ibopamine. So I kind of remember that it's like it bops the pressure up a little bit. But I don't think it's easy to get in the United States. Like I've never seen it available to get. Um, and it only brings your pressure up by like two or three points. So 
usually not worth doing, but keep in mind that those they do exist, um, but uh, usually not practical to use. So let's talk about the complications, Ben. Complications. What type of complications can you see in hypotony? Yeah, so I guess we can start front to back. The the cornea, um, due to low pressure, can get folds, wrinkles in it, and become edematous just from being under low pressure. What's behind the cornea that can give a problem? Are you referring to cataracts? Yeah, so they can get... Um, accelerated rate, accelerated rate of cataract formation. Remember, nutrition for the lens comes from the aqueous humor, so there's too little of it. Then uh, it's like a stress stressor on the lens, so they can get accelerated cataract formation. Um, the okay. macula. The, yeah, I feel like the macula is the one that everybody likes to talk about. Yeah, that's like the big one. You can get hypotony maculopathy, which usually is uh, wrinkles or folds in the retina. Sometimes they can get frank mac- cystoid macular edema as well. So, and that's like the big one that can, you know, if you don't treat these quick quickly enough, they can the folds can kind of set in, and they can have you know. Uh, long-term vision problems from uh, like a, a temporary hypotony. So, you know, you can look at that for that in an exam. You can use an OCT to find that anyone's pressure use you know, five or under for sure. Examine for that. The big thing that usually jumps out at you when the pressure is low is the choroidal effusions. Right. Which actually kind of looks scary the first time I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, no, the retina's attached. It's not the retina. But it's still bad. And what's a good way for figuring out whether this is a choroidal effusion versus a retinal detachment for those people who haven't seen many of these? Yeah. So there's two things. One is to remember what's the color of the retina. And the answer is it doesn't have a color. It's clear. So if you see like a sheet. A sheer sheet. A sheer sheet. And it looks like. The normal, quote, normal red color of the fundus is kind of out of focus, is blurry. Then that means there's a separation between your retina and the choroid. So that's a retinal detachment. If it looks like the whole thing, including the choroid, is coming forward, like it's, you can definitely tell it's coming forward, but um, it's the whole thing. You can still see the choroid sharply underneath that. Um, the other way is the, is that what you're going for? Is it anatomically? Yeah, yeah, anatomically. Yeah. The, the uh, you want to explain it or do you want me to something? Go for it. Okay. The other way is anatomically. So, and that's to remember where the cord and the retina are attached. So the retina is firmly attached at the optic nerve and the aura. So if it's going to detach, you know, it will never separate unless there's something horrible and traumatic that happened, like in dialysis, from the um, aura and the optic nerve. The choroid is attached at the so it's near the aura like the ciliary body so anteriorly as well and it's attached at the um um also at the optic nerve but the other place it's attached is the internal uh, internal os or the opening of the vortex veins remember on average you have between four to eight vortex veins in your eye but recent i know the textbook says four but some recent research is showing it's actually eight in some people but so because you have these kind of like these four points where the cord is stuck down, the, when the cord starts to detach, it'll detach in kind of these quadrants usually and it will look classically like a quote unquote baseball stitch pattern. So I wish this were not just an audio medium, but um, you know, if you look up cordial effusion, then you'll see this baseball stitch pattern. So if it respects the vortex veins and comes and doesn't 
you know, and, and comes um, out in this baseball stitch pattern, it's also probably a crotal effusion. And that's more important for B-scan when you're looking only at B-scan. Okay. And the last thing is the optic disc can get swollen too, just like the macula can get swollen. So what they say sometimes is they have a, quote, reversal of cupping because it looks like the cup is, like, smaller after, like, a glaucoma surgery. But really, that's just, like, some disc edema. So it's not. You didn't actually fix their cupping. Sorry. They say that? <laughs> yeah, I've read that somewhere. Like, there's some, like, literature or whatever. Oh, so. that's cute. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay. That's hypotony. In a nutshell. Yeah. In a in a, in a soft, deflated, in a deflated in soft, nutshell. soft, gooey nutshell. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you can follow us on iTunes at i 4 ears with a number four. It also helps to rate and review us on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. And that's all we for this week. I hope everyone had a good time at AAO who went there. Uh, take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Say bye.